Amen. Good to see you tonight. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that uh, we can worship the Lord together. I want to pray one more time just for the word tonight, for the message. So if you would, just join me. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear you tonight. God, we know that you're here. We know that we've come into your presence, God. We have, we're not just people gathered in a building. We're the, the church, the temple of the living God. You said we're uh, living stones, God, that comprise the temple of the Lord. And God, we pray that you would speak to us and minister to us and grow us. Teach us and guide us, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're doing our study on the life of Elijah. And uh, faith is always going to, faith would be like one of the, the main themes of this study in this man's life. And how God used him. He had to trust the Lord and he had to obey the Lord. I know those are simple things, but I can tell you that most Christians fail or miss out in one or the other. They don't trust the Lord or they, or they don't obey the Lord when God calls them to do something. They'll say they believe, they believe in all the miracles of God and that God can do anything. And yet when God calls us, sometimes we don't obey. We're going we're gonna to miss out on both of those. That's where most people fail. I'm not saying you fail to make it to heaven. If we're born again, we're born again. But we may fail to, to serve God and be all that he's called us to be. Amen? When we do that. But uh, we can turn in our Bibles to uh, 1 Kings chapter, chapter 17. Okay, so we've talked about Elijah being by the brook, right? In verse 7, it came to pass... This is 17.7. came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been, been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. This was actually not part of, of Israel. This was like uh, on the edge or the outskirts of the, the land that God had given to Israel, which belongeth to Zidon and dwelled there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. We'll just stop there. So faith is going to wait for God's plan. I know that we talk about this, and I know that we remind ourselves of it, but we need to be reminded that we have to wait upon the Lord. His timetable is not our timetable. His schedule is not our schedule. If it were, then we would have everything, you know, day one. We would have everything we wanted just like every day would be Christmas Day. We would just have it all. But it's not God's way. It's not the best way. And so part of what he's doing is trying to make us more like Jesus. And in making us more like Jesus, he puts us in, in circumstances where we have to wait upon God. We have to wait for him. We have to wait until the answer comes. We have to wait as long as he says to wait. Right? And Joseph waited in a pit when his brothers were jealous and they threw him in a pit in the Old Testament. Joseph Right, And then he waits in Potiphar's house where he's a servant to this Egyptian. He's falsely accused. He's thrown into prison. Uh, and he has to wait in prison. He has to wait. He waited until. Right? You ha we have to. We have to wait until. And that's what faith does. Because faith is expecting and hoping. Faith absolutely knows that no matter how long I wait or I'm in this circumstance, that God is going to do what he promised. The back end of this thing, there's a big bright light. On the back end of it, there's hope. There is a fulfilled promise. There is a blessing. There is the Lord. 
And so we know that. So we're waiting, but we're not waiting, wondering what's going to happen. We're waiting on God. We're waiting for his timing. We're waiting for his answer. We're waiting for his deliverance. But the deliverance is sure. It's like heaven is sure. I'm waiting to get there, right? We had the scripture that Alberto read that was up there about the rapture, right? In a moment, the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. We're waiting for that. But it's, is it sure that that's going to happen? Absolutely. It's absolutely. So it's it's different type of waiting. It's not waiting around wondering if somebody's going to help you, wondering if something good is going to happen, wonder if I'm going to be healed or get out of this circumstance. We are going to get out of it. God is going to see to it. He's going to keep his promises. But after a while, it says it came to pass that the brook dried up. And again, we talked about this a little bit last week, but God, God called him and moved him, right? He, his first call was to go speak to Ahab, the king, said, there's not going to be rain, but according to my word, these many years. And then God says to him, now get thee and go hide by the brook Cherith. I've commanded the ravens to feed you, and you'll drink from the brook. So he does that. He's obedient. He doesn't wait around. He does what God tells him to do when God tells him to do it. Simple, but needed. Amen? Doing what God calls us to do when he calls us to do it. If God says, go witness to that man at the gas station right there, you're filling up here and they're filling up there, he means go witness to them. You're not going to have a chance in five minutes from now. That's going to be over. We need to obey the Lord when he tells us to obey the Lord. Well, what if that wasn't God? Well, what if it wasn't? You handed him a track. You shared the gospel with him. You know, what was the big loss in that? Even if you think I miss God, we can, we can reason ourselves out of a lot of blessings and a lot of obedience when we sit there and think about it too much. But what I think most of us would have done, and I'll be the, put myself at the head of the line, when we saw the brook drying up, we talked about this last week, when we saw it drying up, not that it was flowing one day and the next day it was dried up. He watched it day by day. There was a drought. There was a famine and a drought in the land, no rain. He watched it decrease until it was just a little trickle and then mud hole and then nothing, right? What a lot of us would have done is say, I need to start making some plans here. I don't know if it's the few days before, week before, whenever he started notice it drying up. He said, I need to to make some plans here. And when we start making our own plans, we get in trouble. I'm talking about if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God. I'm not saying you don't use your brain you know, uh, that we never do anything. But, but this was the leading of the Lord. He needed to be led by the Lord. He needed to be in the will of God. He would never have gone to talk to the king if God hadn't told him to. He was putting his life in danger. He was a pagan king who instituted pagan worship and idolatry in the land, okay? And he would never have done that. He just waited on his own initiative, He would never thought to go hide by this little brook and thought that birds would bring him food. We have to wait on the Lord, and we don't need our own plan. We need God's plan, and when we have it, we need to walk in it. And sometimes it'll it'll change. Not that his plan changes, but that what he's showed us. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about it? God's man or woman or servant has to learn to take one step at a time. We have to take one step at a time. Because you know what? That's all he shows us, usually. He shows us one step, and we take that one. Amen? And this is what we see in this man's life. So there's so many of these wonderful biblical truths that are, we see played out in his life. That's what I appreciate, appreciate about 
Elijah's life so much, but we would have probably begun to worry. I would have. You see the bank account dwindling, and what's going on? I'm working as hard as I ever did, you know, but uh, I see it had this much and now this much, and you see it dwindling, and you think, I've got to make a plan really quick. I need to, to do something. What we need to do is hit our knees before the Lord and find out what he would have us to do. He might say, just sit still and let me take care of it. He might say, I've got this provision for you over here by this brook. Go over there. Whatever he, he tells us to do, he has promised to take care of us. You are his responsibility. He gladly accepts it and takes it. He tells you, I'm going to take care of you. But most of us say, I've got to make my plan. And God's over here, and we're not listening for him, we're not seeking him, and we're not waiting for him. We are Christians, but we're saying, I've got to do something. And we bring a lot of heartache upon ourselves. Probably long before the brook was dried up, we would have come up with some plan, and then we would have asked God to bless it. Isn't that what we do? I, I, I'm going to do this. This is what I think I should do. God, would you bless it? That's not the same thing as going to the Lord in prayer. In fact, it's much easier probably to devise your own common sense plan. Oh, i got a cousin that's got this, and, and maybe I could go work for him, whatever. You, you think up something, and you go to it, and that almost is easier than we think it is, than going before the Lord and being still and knowing that he's God and being quiet and sitting before the Lord and opening up the word of God and going to the promises of God and say, Father, you've promised to take care of me. I'm your child. I need you to take care of me. I don't know what to do. You got an education. You got a doctorate. You got a whatever, a master's degree. None of that matters. We need to go before the Lord, sit before the Lord, and learn to wait upon him, learn to hear from him. And he speaks to us, and, and then he tells us. But we want to make our own plans and say, God bless it. I can't tell, how many, tell you how many times over the years when I've had to counsel myself with this. As a believer, as someone that is saved, give my life to Christ, and I've said, I want to do this, God bless it. It's not, it's not sinful, it's not immoral. I want to do this, I want to take this path. God, would you bless it? And we might even start down that path for a ways. And then we bring... Uh, we find ourselves in a, in a bad situation, okay? You remember when, we don't have time to turn there, but when Saul, Saul was the king, the first king of Israel, and Samuel had given him a set time and said, I'm going to come and I'm going to show up before you go to fight the Philistines, and I'm going to make the offering, that this, this sacrifice to God. And it was the priest's job. It wasn't the king's job to make this sacrifice. He says, I'll be there. And the time comes, and and when Saul thought he should have been there, and he wasn't there. So what does Saul do? He makes a huge mistake, doesn't he? He makes a huge mistake, and he says, ah. he gets in his own carnal mind and says, I've got I've to make the sacrifice because all the soldiers are looking at me, and they're, they're, they were starting to trickle away, and the soldiers, was, the morale was going down, and they were starting to leave. And he took matters in his own hand. It was a serious mistake, and as soon as he does that, Saul, uh, Samuel showed up. He showed up just when he was supposed to. Saul got anxious, okay? And we make, we make our own plans. We want God to bless it. God, by his mercy, will oftentimes rescue us from that, even though we messed up royally, okay? We took our own plan. We wanted God to bless it. It wasn't God's will. We start walking over, over here. We find ourselves in a heap of trouble, maybe, and we cry out to God. And because he's kind and merciful, he'll pick us right up and bring us back where we need to be. 
But we could have saved ourselves a lot of heartache. Yes, Christians can have heartache, but because of the decisions we make and the paths we take, if we'd only waited first for him to unfold his plans before us. This is the type, this is what I want to learn. I want to learn and I want us to learn. God would have spared us from maybe shame, spared us from uh, heartache and tears, that we have to do things according to God's will. And I just don't, so often I don't know that we're hearing as a church body, not, not this local church, but just churches in general. There's so many uh, directions that the church has taken, and, and, and we're not hearing just the simplicity of this. Wait on God. Sit before the Lord. Well, I don't want to wait on the Lord. I tried that before, and it didn't work. Well, try it again. There's not a plan B. I say all the time, we do what God tells us to do, and the answer comes. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I mean, to, uh, to oh my goodness, I'm getting a brain cramp. He, the Lord of the Lord came to Elijah when he was waiting by the brook, and it came in time, and he says, get down, and I've commanded a widow woman to sustain you. You remember, I want us to look at a verse real quickly. Uh, keep your spot there in 1 Kings and turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. All right, let's read. This is, this is talking about God giving the plans of the temple, or the tabernacle, I'm sorry, to Moses on the mount, who serve unto the example and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou makest make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. We have to do all things according to the pattern God has showed us. And again, it sounds very simple, but a pattern means like a, a model, like an, an imprint, like a stamp. You ever, ever had some stamp where you're just stamping out like a cookie cutter thing and everyone's exactly the same? He says, make it like the pattern I showed you. That's really what that is. It's a, it's a stamp it is one of the definitions of it. So the Lord did not give Moses a set of blueprints. He, he might have added that to it. But I know for 40 days, he, he actually, Moses got to see it. Like the living tabernacle, how God intended for it to be. He got to see it. The Lord allowed him to see it. He says, see that you make all things according to the pattern that was showed you in the mount. He got to actually see like this pre, before it was built, the tabernacle. So when he goes down the mount later and, and begins to instruct the people and God give, uh, uh, gets the supplies together and the people gave willingly and they had a heart to give and the workers came, this one's skillful in work, woodwork and this one's skillful in gold smith or whatever. Uh, he said, no, not like that. This is, he, she showed me and he had it in his heart and his mind and spirit. Make it just, he, he, God says, make it just like the pattern that I gave. Again, a lot of times we want to do things and we want to do it our, ourselves because it seems good to us and it's not sinful and it's not immoral on the surface and we want to do it and then we want God to bless it. But even Jesus said, you know, think about if, if anybody could have done his own thing, it would have been Jesus. But he said, the son of man can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. 
It's not that he couldn't do whatever he wanted to do. It was that in his servant position, he, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, right? He took on the form of a, of a servant, became a servant, and he only did what his father showed him to do. Well, if our Lord and Savior only did what his father showed him to do, that's how we need to live. Amen? Only doing what the Lord shows us to do. And he will lead us. Amen? So uh, it's amazing that, that Jesus really lived that way, but he did. He really did every waking moment, every moment, only doing, he says, what I see my father doing. He saw the pattern. He saw and what I hear my father saying. And so we need to do that. And again, how much anxiety would, would we spare ourselves from? Would we only do what God is leading us to do? Rather than trying something and asking God to bless it. If we could learn to be content to wait upon God till he unveils his plan. He's going to be faithful. Samuel did show up. Right? Samuel did show up. And now Saul's kind of caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Saul, and then he's got to make excuses. Instead of repenting, he makes excuses. Just wait on God. He should have waited. Amen? He should have waited. And that's what the Bible says. David says, teach me to do thy will. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Lord, teach me thy paths. He's, 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 he's asking God to teach him how to wait upon the Lord. So God's plans, whatever he does show us, when he shows us, always demand implicit obedience. It's not Halfway obedience isn't going to do it. A sluggish kind of, you know, halfway obedience is not going to do it. We're to obey the Lord. There's a, uh, a prophecy, really, of Christ in the Psalms where it's him in Psalm 40, verse 8, it's speaking about Jesus who would come all these years later. I delight to do, to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. He loved to do it. He was ready to do it. He's quick to do it. And we need to be as well. When, so, it, so, it, so if you're back in, in 1 Kings 17, when the Lord, the brook dried up, he says, Arise, go to Zarephath. I've commanded the woman to sustain you. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. Again. Simple, but there's a lot of people we don't know about, and a lot of people we're not reading about because they didn't obey the Lord. They might have been Christians, but they didn't obey the Lord, and they missed out on what, what God's plan was for their life. Disobedience, y'all, is the cause of, in, of failure in so many Christians. Disobedience. I'm not saying that we're running out there... Uh, breaking every commandment and you know and, and stealing and robbing and murdering people i'm saying disobedience to what he reveals to us we don't obey we are hindering ourselves we're shooting ourselves in the foot spiritually and so it's it's kind of like this someone let's say they come they're new in the faith or maybe they're not new in the faith and they just feel like they're walking them, them and Jesus and this new life is so wonderful and it is. It's one of the things I talked to the boys about this morning at, uh, at Bible study. But how wonderful it is to know Jesus. But we're just floating on the clouds and everything's going great and everything's wonderful and everything's like a bluebird day, spiritually speaking, which is a wonderful place to be. But then a command comes from God and we shrink back from it. You understand what I'm saying? 
I, I know I've shared it so many times, but I can remember surrendering everything to the Lord, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it was wonderful and it was great. And the Lord says, now I want you to go separate, tell your friends and separate from some of them. Maybe they'll come along, maybe they won't, but I need you to separate from them. Everything was great and wonderful. Now he's brought a command into my life. And I don't, think, I don't believe that my salvation hinged on it. I was already saved. Salvation is a free gift of God to those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe that my, came back certainly, that my walk with God depended upon it. You understand what I'm saying? My future in Christ and what he has for me and he, what he has for you, what he's showing us, we need to obey. There comes a command. Maybe God's calling us to leave the brook, the Cherith, right, and go down to Zarephath. We don't want to go. It was a hidden place. It was an idolatrous place. It wasn't even part of the confines of Israel at all. It was on the outskirts. He says, I want you to go to Zarephath. Well, some, you know, God calls us to cut off some relationship. God calls us to speak some word that we know is not going to be popular. The command comes. We were, on, we were on cloud nine. We were practically in heaven with the Lord, it seemed like. Everything was so wonderful in his new life in Christ. But he, command, he puts a demand upon our life or commands us to do something. And we shrink from it. Stop that some habit that God, that you have in your life. Again, I can remember for me, it was some, some secular music. That the Lord says, oh, you don't really need that, Randy. It's not, it's not helping you. It's, it's, it's not, when, you're, when you're listening to it, it's not, it's not edifying you and building you up. I want you to put it away. And the Lord helped me by his grace. It's all glory to God. He helped me put it away. It had been part of my life for most of my life. You know what I mean? Or my adult life. And God says, put it away. We shrink back because the cost is too great. We think it's too great. Can I tell you, you'll pay a higher cost by not obeying the Lord. Whatever he's telling you to do, even if he didn't tell your neighbor this, there are things he might just show you to do. If he's telling you to do it and you think the cost is too great, I can't bear to do this. The, the cost is going to be a lot greater if we disobey the Lord. Because right around the corner, he had some wonderful thing for you. But it was contingent upon not your salvation, but what he had for you. How he wanted to use you. What he wanted to reveal to you. How he wanted to grow you. All these things were contingent and are contingent upon our obeying what he tells us to do. One step at a time. Take this step. Lord, I don't want to do that. Take it. I promise I'll be with you. And we take it. Thank you, Jesus. He's with me. He took care of me. Took care of me by the brook. The brook's dried up. Well, I'm going to wait on the Lord again. I'm not going to make my own plans. He was faithful at the brook. He'll be faithful in the next place. He's going to take care of me. Wait on the Lord. And when he says, go to Zarephath, and a widow woman's going to sustain you, then we go to Zarephath. We don't reason it out. We have to recognize God's voice. I say it all the time. You need to have such a walk with the Lord. And that's part of what we're doing as a body, right? Coming together and sitting under the ministry of the word. You need to be able to hear the voice of your good shepherd so clearly that you know it's God. You know it's the Lord and you can step out upon it. You don't have to have 15 other people tell you. 
Now, if you have other close Christians in your life that you know are walking with the Lord and you know that they're taking steps of obedience and they can hear from God, then, then God can confirm it for, through another person. But you need and I need to be able to, to hear from the Lord ourselves and we need to keep his commandments. Amen. The Bible says, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. That's what Jesus said. Amen. In John chapter 14 and 15, he talks about that. Search the Bible, basically from cover to cover, and you're going to find that God demands immediate, complete obedience. That's what you're going to find. Well, that sounds legalistic. Well, you can call it whatever you want to call it. You can put whatever label you want to put on it. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. I'm not saying that along the way there's not mercy and forgiveness when we fail. God can extricate us, you know, from the situation we got ourselves in and put us back on the right path. But the, again, the heartache and tears, we would save ourselves had we just waited on the Lord. And then when he spoke to us, obeyed. We might wait longer than we think we should, but wait. It might not be the answer or the word that we thought we were going to hear. I don't think that, that this man Elijah had a clue he was going to end up going to Zarephath. And some widow woman who's broke and penniless too is going to be the one that takes care of him. It would have never entered his mind. I say hallelujah to that. Because the way that God works and works in our lives and does things, they would never in a million years have been what we would have, would have thought. I think about it all the time. It's, it's, it's almost like a fairy tale, but it's not. Who would have thought that God would part a sea for people to walk through? He hadn't done it since. He did part the Jordan River later for him, but he hadn't done it since. He hadn't ever done that before. Who would have thought? God would have thought. I want to walk with the Lord. I want to see his plans. I want to know his plans. I want to see his hand at work and walk in the things that he has for us. Amen. That's what I want. I want it for our church and in your life and my life. But the word Zarephath. So here if it says, so he arose, verse 10, went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. Now, he didn't know her name. He, God didn't tell her name. Or anything, but he gets there. There's a, a some woman gathering sticks, and it's like he has a knowing this is the one. God does that, amen. God does that. The widow woman, the widow, not a widow, but the, the one that God had chosen, was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. So, anyway, he, he sees her. The word Zarephath actually means a a smelting furnace, or like a furnace where you would melt things down. That's what the word means. And I'm just going to close with this, this thought tonight. That God puts his people, and we've talked about it a lot lately, puts us in those furnaces. There's no accident that this was the name of the city that he went. A smelting furnace is where God sends Elijah, okay? And that's, that's the name of the town. It would have been about as gloomy and depressing, the name of the town, the religion of the town, the famine and drought were there as well. And of all people, a widow woman whose husband has died, and she's penniless as well. And this is it. This is your new home. This is, you know, 
And, and yet, God has, got a, has a lot of things he's going to do for the woman, for the son that she has, for Elijah. He's putting, the Lord is putting his man into a smelting furnace to burn off the dross, to burn off the things that are not of God. I wish that I had learned it completely, but I can say that by the grace of God, I'm learning it as you are to not despise the chastening of the Lord, not to despise the smelting furnace. We, there's a day when it's all going to be over in a good sense for the lost. I mean, this is the best as it's going to get if they die without Christ. They'll go to a smelting furnace, okay, and a lake of fire. But for the saved, this is as rough and tough and hard as it's going to get. He's bringing us through. He's bringing us through. And we ought not, we're told and instructed in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, not to despise the chastening of the Lord or the trying of the Lord. Don't think it's strange as though some strange thing is happening to you. It is part of God's plan for your life. He's the potter. We're the clay. And I, also, I often picture like if you're a piece of, of wood or something and, and somebody the the artist is whittling away or carving, right? That, that artist has a plan for that piece of wood, what it's going to be when he's finished. He's got it in mind. All, all you might see if you're watching is pieces of wood flying, you know, as he's carving away. And God has a plan, and he's doing it. And we don't see it all, but we can trust him, amen? We can trust him. We can wait on the Lord and know that he's bringing us through a a smelting fire through a furnace. We did that three-part series on uh, the conflict. I have refined thee, but not with silver. I've chosen thee in the fire of affliction. Straight up, he's telling us. But he's not cruel. He's with us in the fire like he was for the three Hebrews. He was with Paul and Silas in the prison in Philippi. He was in there with them. Okay? He was in the lion's den with Daniel. He was on the island of Patmos with John the Beloved on the Lord's Day. You understand what I'm saying? He's with us. And you ask any of those people, and they wouldn't have traded it for anything. They said, this, oh, I'm so glad this is how he chose it to be. Amen? Y'all stand with me. We're going to close tonight. I pray for the, the kids. I know it, it's uh, school and for parents and, and getting back in that routine and everything. We want to keep the Lord first in everything. I'm purposely trying to keep it not too long on Wednesday nights. I'm conscious of that. I'm aware of that. I'm going to preach what God gives me, but I'm, I want you to know that I'm trying to, and Dee and I both are trying to be sensitive to that. It's important that you're here. It's important that your children are here. It's once during the week. And uh, looking back as the years pass, you'll be glad that they were. Amen. Amen. So y'all pray with me. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, God. And